when the only Super League you need is the goddamn MLS. It's that show MLS with myself, Nick Thornton. With me, as always, is Andrew Bates. Andrew, how are you doing? I'm doing great. If you are tired, if you're a European fan that is tired of the craven, uh, the craven <laughs> actions of, of money-grubbing owners seeking a closed league, come over to our closed league. <laughs> it's have, uh, super. Where you have a whole new, um, a whole new suite of owners and, and some of the same owners to yell at. It's true. Hey, and I guess Real Salt Lake is still for sale as well. So if you wanted to get in on the ground floor, <laughs> now accepting uh, offers. But it was a, it was an exciting, action-packed weekend. We were saying just before the show, it's one of the rare weeks where kind of all we really have to talk about is the matches because there wasn't enough time for news. Um, just. A lot of games. Yeah, we came to you. Uh, we came to you pretty soon before the season, and, and the 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 MLS world shifted all shifted by one uh, by one step. The first kick took place. It was almost weird this year, I think, to have one just two games on the first day because I felt like you know if you if you want to have that big energy to be like yeah today is the starting day, and then your your team starts on Sunday. It's like, mm-hmm. well, what day? What day is the day I'm supposed to get excited? The first day, or the second day when the most matches are, or my, or, or my day? Yeah, I think they they seem to take a just let it market itself, and everyone's just going to watch their own team anyway kind of approach, which is maybe not not the wrong approach. What was uh, what was one of your uh, standout games of the weekend? <laughs> well. Uh, my standout game was probably the one that had me eating most of my words because, of course, <laughs> commentator's curse, I was all high on Minnesota last episode. And so I was very eagerly anticipating and watching the Seattle-Minnesota match. But I thought it was a hell of a game from one of the sides, and you can probably guess <laughs> which side that is. Uh, what, what stood out to you? What, what was the game highlight for you? From well, do you want to talk about... Well, I was going to say... start there? I wanted to. I wanted to see where you wanted to start, but All let's, right. let's. I I can I can then confirm what uh, what game um, stoked my interest the most as we go along. Sure. Um, I think that. Uh, spoiler alert! It's Montreal Toronto. Um, the, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was certainly a game in Seattle, Minnesota, which um, I thought I didn't get to see it uh, I didn't get to see that one live but I think that when you kind of look at it a little bit I feel okay some of the goals it's like they pushed pretty well for a long time Minnesota but I don't know whether or not it's um, I don't know whether or not they had a loss of concentration but they really fell apart in those last 20 minutes it's a game yeah. for Minnesota where I think that we would be, you know, you you look at this, like, was I wrong to have predicted them to be so strong? But there were, a, a, you know, a, a handful of opportunities for them over the course of the game. And ultimately, they collapsed late, and that is that bit more than the opportunities and and more than some of the, the, the heroic plays early on the penalty save that's what we that's what we end up thinking about it's true yeah i i thought minnesota played an okay 
45 <laughs> minutes in this game anyway, but it's definitely a scoreline that sort of doesn't tell the uh, the full story. I mean, one team clearly looked sharper than the other, and I think yeah. we saw a Seattle side picking up exactly where they left off, really not surprising anyone. Uh, what was interesting to me is that there was a lot of talk in the beginning of Seattle was going to start with three at the back and be trying out a new formation. Obviously, they don't have Jordan Morris, who was going to be on loan anyway, but is now uh, on the injury list. And and so it was sort of like, a, we know Seattle's going to be good, but it is a slightly new look for them. And the first half was a little bit disjointed, and Minnesota had some opportunities. Um, but, <laughs> as you say, it just... It really falls apart so quickly. Um, the Xiao Paulo goal early oh, in the man. second half is just the kind of jaw-dropping goal that you come to expect from Seattle. And, it, it you know, it, it's kind of one of those moments where you're like, oh, Minnesota's going to get soundered, aren't they? Like, it just, <laughs> it's, the, it's such a brilliant goal that it's, I feel like that's the thing that Seattle needed to ignite them credit to minnesota for responding well i I think they held up and and were able to disrupt a lot of plays and kind of hold on to the game from there but then in the 70th minute you have rui diaz it's been a while since i've said his name (laughs) rui diaz rui diaz strikes uh off a great assist from will bruin who just sort of drags it across um in front of minnesota's goal and then again at the 73rd minute uh rui diaz again and then uh, r- right towards the end, Freddie Montero, of course, gets his goal uh, in his Seattle Sounders debut to make it 4-0. So it's, yeah, it's kind of a second-half win here. And I think I, I put in my notes, like, I don't think I'm changing my prediction about how good Minnesota can be this season. But for me, it was just they're they're missing something in the attack. And, and that really showed here. It's, it's, as a unit, I think they're a really great team with a lot of chemistry. Um, and they've got a fantastic midfield, really solid defense as well. But, you know, when you're having to hang on in games like these, it just really became apparent that um, there was something missing. That being said... It's Seattle. <laughs> so <laughs> I kind of feel like, you know, how hard do I want to be on opening day and how hard do I want to be on Minnesota when your opponent is a high-flying Seattle? You know, this is not going to be the, the last 4-0 victory that Seattle gets this season, I'm sure. So I think overall Minnesota can can look at their game and see a lot of areas to improve, but... I think was still a decent showing and and I still saw flashes of a team that can be very, very good and in moments play against the best teams in MLS and hold their own. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. The um, win, one of the things that I thought when when that that Jean-Paolo goal happened was just like when Raul Diaz arrived at the club in 2018, um, it almost felt like unfair because of how good Seattle already was. Mm-hmm. You know, like who is this guy? Oh my god. <laughs> now we've already yeah. Seattle already went to two and lost cups in a row and now we have to deal with this guy. 
mm-hmm. and and now he's obviously um, still such a huge part of the team. And they have João Paulo here from Botafogo, who just the 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 strike from outside the box that floats into the top corner is indeed a thing of beauty. Yeah, it's just. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was real good. So well done to Seattle. Um, I, I think this is probably a result of many predicted. Maybe not the the goal margin itself, but I still think Minnesota's going to be a great team this year. And and it's not uh, the shocking defeat that maybe the the scoreline makes it seem like. I think the number one thing they have to do is watch. Like I know a lot of teams. You know, you're seeing a lot of like different things happen with with teams being able to warm up or or whatever obviously there has been there there were some successes and there was a success that included you know the the penalty save there were a couple things that could have gone in i wonder you know because it wasn't exactly as though reynoso was uh had a lack of action you know Mm -hmm. he was he did uh he did the he did some work um but you know we I think we a little bit have to th- think about the um, the service to him. You know what I yeah. mean? And if, yeah. If he's the only one, if he's the only one doing any of the work, because we talked a little bit about uh, last week about Kevin Molino. Yeah, yeah. I was um, just going to say your other absence. midfield mover. And it's because I don't think I don't think you can look at in terms of like what went what went wrong for them on this particular occasion. It wasn't that Reynoso was cold because he had opportunities. But I just think that I almost felt, uh, and again, I saw, I was only, I only got to see some of the highlights of this, but it kind of felt that what he was succeeding at, he was sort of hacking away at. A little bit, yeah. I I think he missed some uh, attacking support for sure. And it's very clear they want to run pretty much everything through him, which I think is is wise to do. I mean, if you have a player like Reynoso on the pitch, you do that. Um, but yeah, I think that although I wouldn't really call it a partnership with Kevin Molino, Kevin Molino is a similar player who is not just picking up the, po- the ball in dangerous areas, but he's, he's moving around more. And I felt like that was a bit of a theme from the weekend, is that there was a number of clubs that just seemed kind of flattened and not you know, feeling too adventurous moving forwards. And it, that's always the balance you have to strike with Seattle, right? Is, is in order to stay in the game, you need to be aggressive and you need to get into dangerous areas and force them to defend. But by doing so, you leave them, you know, very open in, in other dangerous areas. Um, that being said, if you just kind of stay in a static shape in a more or less 4-4-2 I mean you can run at Seattle's back line all day and not get anything even with shots on goal as we saw uh-huh. so yeah I think that Minnesota is definitely going to be looking to generate more in the attack and, and I feel like they're, they're missing a piece there for sure whether that's a box to box midfielder that's maybe a little bit more on the attacking side or, or an out and out striker I, I think both could be helpful I think another match that defied expectations so much was was uh, Montreal Toronto, as yeah. um, the you know I got to see some of the headlines you know in the Toronto press is just like TFC ready to rain punishment down on 
on Montreal when, in fact, quite the opposite occurred. A lot of people seem to seem th- seem to think this game was a foregone conclusion <laughs> the, for the Toronto way. I mean, I certainly thought uh, Toronto would be able to maybe scrape out, out a victory here, but I was sort of thinking like a a two one kind of thing. But yeah. <laughs> this was this was the first I think of a number of games or, or one of men, a number of games this weekend where I feel like teams really pushed hard right off the the hop. Yeah, and we yeah. see Mason Toy score on three minutes. Really quick start, and uh, and I love this signal of intention too. That, um, you know, we, Montreal and Toronto are known for kind of battling it out, and and there being some high scoring goal lines. And so, I love this from Montreal just to to really put their stamp on the game early on in the in the third minute, and it really shook Toronto pretty hard. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that that is, that's, like, if we talk about what we expected, I don't think they expected that either, you know? This is, mm-hmm. this is a player, one of the, one of the, the arrivals in the off season, who has been positive, but hasn't always been, like, you know, the number one match changer that you have to worry about. So it's like, oh no, who's, <laughs> you know, you know, the, 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 the dog who doesn't know what, they're sniffing into, and all of a sudden they've they've come up with a, a bruised nose. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and of course, too. I just had that um, that thought of like, no, where was Mason Toy before Montreal? Oh, that's right at aforementioned Minnesota. Um, so certainly brought some attacking prowess to Montreal's game here. Um, and it's a great assist from uh, Broguiard as well, who I thought had a really fantastic game. I, I mean, overall, I thought, I thought Montreal obviously played an amazing game. Certainly had their shaky moments, and you saw f- a few of those familiar Montreal problems. But uh, just, again, I think so much of this game really hinges on the first goal and to, to really just utterly confound Toronto early on to get that goal. And then um, Romel Kyoto follows it up in the 24th minute. So in the opening phase of the game to be up two nil with 20 minutes until the half is you have to think probably in the game plan for Montreal to maybe not quite that quickly, but just hit them hard, hit them fast, make them defend and they're not going to know what hit them. This is the part where it really felt like it was challenging for Toronto to get themselves back in, even though they did score a couple of goals. Of course, we have to mention that they were missing a bunch of starters. This yes. is a this is a big you know part of that game, and 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 what they were able to do. The the first sort of answer back from Montreal um, comes in the form of this penalty that happens where, okay, I get, I, I have been, I have been learned the rules here. Aro, Aro is fouled by Joel Waterman and steps up to take this penalty. They, they go to the trouble of saying, Oh, he scored one in preseason. And then he hits the softest, slowest one down the center. Uh, that gets saved by Clement Diop. And then Var comes and takes it. And they, they uh, they judge that Diop was off his line, and then they change it and send Dean Delgado instead. Mm-hmm. And now I have been, since been told this is allowed. 
This is not a this is not an abnormal thing to do. I just maybe I'm being you know a stick in the mud about it, but it's my same deal with penalty rebounds, you know, where it just feels like it feels like you've stacked so much mm. on the keeper that now yeah, you've at that, at, like at that point why not just use your hands and like bowl it in like a bowling ball? Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you yeah. just wanted to, if you wanted to be a goal, just call it a goal. You don't have to be like, okay, well, we sent somebody up, and then we realized that actually he was really bad at it. Why do we do that? Uh, you shouldn't. I feel like you shouldn't get another. You know, if you're if it's retaken, you should have to rely on the people who took it in the first place. But I understand that that that's yeah. that is the that is how it works it's not on it's not unre it's not unreasonable or an incorrect interpretation it's just no i but i agree i mean it is it's it's why i hate penalties period because it just for me it's like well at that point <laughs> flip a coin because it's incredibly hard to save penalties um yeah it's kind of. It, I think it's a bit silly. I always feel bad for the player that gets subbed out from it, though. Like, you know, a chance. You like, oh, okay. Well, great. He's off his line. I get a chance to redeem myself. Oh, oh so you'll you'll just you'll just take it. Okay, okay. No, that's that's all right. Yeah, no. You you should you should definitely take that penalty. When's the next time we're gonna see Aro step up to the line? You I don't know? think it's gonna be for a while. <laughs> <laughs> the. Um, so they go into the half into halftime with one of those, you know, crucial um, stoppage time goals to to maybe give them some of the momentum back. But less than ten minutes into the second half, Victor Wanyama scores to ruin it to to completely take the wind out of that uh, momentum. Yep, sure did. Yeah, and a strong start from Wanyama as well. I know he's he's had his moments with Montreal, but I think faced some some criticism. And uh, I love there's a lot of I feel like the big players showed up on opening day, and, and they all kind of opened their accounts for the most part. Um, Especially you know we talk about Mason Toy arriving. The other big signing for Montreal was Georgie Mihalovic. Yep, from who, uh, Chicago. Who you know I think. A certain on the Montreal side, a certain amount of um, of of expectation has been put towards, and you know, not every goal scored in a four-one position feels as monumental as this one. But I think that the the level of gusto on this mm-hmm. goal scored um, from an assist by Eric Hurtado. Love who, it. Another another new season or new uh, acquisition for Montreal. Who has uh, who has moved Hurtado Island to the Atlantic Ocean off the coast of Fort Lauderdale? <laughs> He's back. Um, but but yeah, but both of these, uh, all three of the new these new acquisitions, um, make themselves known early and uh, and you know are able to. To uh, to dictate the game for Montreal, Toronto gets one more, but it doesn't really matter because no. it was like on the 89th and they weren't close. My only real note there is just I'm so shocked Richie Larea still plays for Toronto. Like <laughs> that, there's been no deal done for him. Uh, he's just it's just so obvious. I mean he's he's a, really a step above most players on the pitch, I and mean, he's still 
young, which is scary, but oh, what what an incredible talent. And it's kind of one, becoming one of those things where it's like, you know, you can lose a game and the highlight still in people's minds is just this incredible young player and his ability to make something out of nothing. Unfortunately, came late, doesn't make much of a difference. Maybe take, I don't think it even takes the sting out of it, really. You lose 4-1 or 4-2. Still doesn't feel too good, but overall, given I thought the the players that came in for Toronto, they had a very young side. I thought overall yeah. they looked organized. They have a new coach as well, and Chris Armis. I thought he, you know, he organized them well. He set them up well. Yeah, different day, stronger lineup, maybe a, a closer game for sure. But it was I thought really well done from Montreal, and and not a terrible outing for Toronto either. One of those instances where the first parts of the season they are do feel a little bit like. You know, they do feel a little bit like uh, um, we still kind of feel like preseason a little bit. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. There is definitely some some shaking off of some dust this weekend. Um, another game that I thought we, we had a question mark over this team last week when we were doing our preview is um, Houston. Houston faced up against the San Jose Earthquakes. That's right. And In the opener. The opener, uh, not necessarily the top billing t- game I would have picked to kick off the season, but nobody asked me. Um, and Houston again, a strong start. Didn't get their, didn't get a goal early on, but it, or they did rather. Sorry, it, but it was all Houston this first half. It was just, yeah. I mean, San Jose looked kind of like San Jose, but it was just all. Houston just running at the San Jose goal for much of the first 45. That first that first goal by Memo Rodriguez is uh, clever and great. I really like it the way that he he when he's getting the ball he's dummy he dummies it so that he can run back onto it when he gets the ball from uh, Joe Corona. Yeah, and it should be said as well that like that first goal. I, I don't think there's you can't really blame the defender for that. Like what are you what are you going to do against a move like that? Um, and it's a, then the the body movement of um, Rodriguez is what I love is he kind he puts some weight on his left and drags the keeper and once the keeper commits then he side foots around him into the the low right it's just a really really intelligent goal um, to go up one nothing. Mark Chikowski just paintbrushes him. Yeah, just oh. I, it's one of those things too. Like it, it sucks because it makes a goalkeeper look terrible. But <laughs> it, there's so little you can do in those situations. You've got to commit at some point. Um, and then Alanis nearly gets one back for San Jose, but it goes just over the crossbar. See, this kind of seems to be the thing: is that um, San Jose get opportunities, but nearly all of them come from sort of dead play situations or dead ball situations, rather, mm. and set plays. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they develop that over the season. Um, and then Rudy is just left completely alone in the box and San Jose's got eight players, it seems around him, but no one actually marking him. And then all of a sudden it's two, nothing. Um, San Jose's sub Marie came in. He hits a amazing, stunning ball, curls into the, uh, top corner to bring one back. Um... But I think, you know, kind of an open and shut case for Houston. They felt like they, they managed this one without um, too, too, too much trouble. And the goal they gave up is, again, it's kind of one of those goals where you're like, well, if 
you're going to hit it there, then sure. <laughs> um, but I, it didn't really come off a, of a mistake. I think Houston maybe could have put a little bit more pressure on them there, but this certainly felt like a, a reasonably comfortable win for Houston. And no notes for San Jose. They look like they left uh, or picked up exactly where they left, uh, left off as well with not really much of a system, but capable of scoring a goal or two. <laughs> That's right. You know, you want to see... Um... I think that you know you've got to have they've got to be able to hold off a team like you said they make the make things a little bit more hard for them to to uh, do what they want at the end of the game I don't have first half um, possession stats but end of the game possession stats sixty forty yeah um and you that's that kind of seems to me to be a uh, uh, an open and shut case at that point um of course the I. Uh, their goal is very pretty that, that things ends off with, um, and that's a great that's a great starting point. And the fact that they almost get another one, the positioning is great, uh, but they couldn't bury the rebound. I think that was Wando. Um, the so they had the beginnings of something here, but they really had to address the the structure of things. Yeah, and that that's what's making me feel not super optimistic about San Jose is it, it looked to be more or less the same man-marking system that no one can seem to figure out. And I think this is a club that just desperately needs to play a simple game and hang on to the ball a bit and line up 4-4-2 and, like, figure that out first. <laughs> um, it, it, we've seen, obviously, the devastating effect their attack can have under that system, but it's... It's got to be frustrating for Earthquakes fans to to see a club that is, again, not terrible. Like, they're good. There's a lot of good players on this side. But they've also lost a lot of their great players and seem to kind of look more or less the same as they did last year. A a match that I felt was interesting and and that, you know, fun on and off field shenanigans was the, the, um, the combination of the new LA Galaxy in Terra Miami. And the old LA Galaxy, the LA Galaxy. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, heading into the weekend, I think they had the, the biggest piece of news about them in that the, the league ruled that, in fact, in 2020, Blaise Matuidi should have been a designated player. That's um, right. That he was a TAM player, but they used more TAM than you're allowed to TAM. Um, and Can't so over TAM. They overtamed. They overtamed this guy, and now, uh, now they say that they we haven't really addressed what punishment is going to happen, whether or not it should be points deductions or um, loss of a DP spot or what. But the that would certainly make things even worse for them because they were told you have got to get rid of one of your DPS, and so. <laughs> Uh, we now have a 19-year-old Argentinian DP parked in USL 1. Playing for Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> what an absolute debacle. And, and like, in fairness, like the, trying to understand the rules of DPs and TAM, etc. in MLS, is it's a lot. But it, it just seems to be a stunning like lack of competence for somebody to like read the fine print 
and end up in a situation where you have to send one of your star players down to a third tier side. Like, okay, they didn't lose him to another team, but I can't imagine Pellegrini's feeling super awesome about this situation. Yeah, Matias Pellegrini, who is 21, not 19, I got that wrong, um, is, I don't think he's going to play down there. Which, yeah, he would probably feel bad about that because I think that the, that the way that they're trying to exercise it, he still gets to keep their rights and he gets to keep the right of first refusal. And they get to, to, to keep the right of first refusal. But they've bought them off of their salary budget, essentially. Okay. So what happens next is unclear. And I don't really think that he deserves, you know, to have a year out of his development. Somebody should come get him soon yeah i mean it's i was gonna say like it's preferable to me that he plays for fort lauderdale and plays games rather than just (laughs) sit around in miami watching his team run around like you just train for a year yeah that's that's not ideal and and it speaks to some of the you know they're one of my favorite you know uh they're one of my favorite targets so far this season just because it seems that their priorities are so out of whack um, well, and, and it, it, it smacks a little bit of like, you know, the rich kids playing sports executives. And I mean, obviously, you know, Beckham's the, the head guy here. But it's just like, guys, come on. Are you running a football club here or what? Like, I mean, because you, can you imagine if the punishment for the Matuidi situation is that they lose a DP spot and they're going to have to get rid of another DP? Like, <laughs> it just... Uh, it's just, it's not, it's not a great look. And it turns out it wasn't a great look on the pitch either. I mean, Woo! overall, I thought Miami looked better than they did when we saw them last season. But I still was struggling to see, like, any discernible shape or formation that they seemed to be in. Um, But there's a lot to talk about in this game. I don't even where to, know where I to definitely, start this. I definitely see, saw comments after the game suggesting that Gonzalo Higuain with his uh, with his bald hair and large beard cuts a, a pretty similar figure to former goalkeeper uh, Colorado Rapids goalkeeper Tim Howard <laughs> and and like Tim Howard he seems like he was a man on a mission here powered by some amount of frustration um that, that led him to uh, his first two goals um and and putting Miami into a great situation. However, then L.A. was able to come back from that, and it felt that Iguain was continuing to hack away at opportunities like, I will carry this team over the mountain myself. <laughs> yeah. I'm too old and I'm too tired. <laughs> um, but yeah, so both the, he, he starts off pretty, uh, pretty well for them. Um, the first... The first one comes, I think, in the the extra part of injury time. He breaks through with the through ball. He lays off to Robbie Robertson, who scores the opener. Okay, so he he got the assist on that first goal. Right. He he set it up. Um, the uh, it's Dan La that scores the next one with uh, Ethan Zubak, who I thought did great for the Galaxy this game. Yeah, Zubak was everywhere. It seemed makes a great run and. And has a, a cross that finds Chicharito. 
Chicharito operating in tight spaces between two center backs, where he likes to be. Yeah, I, I thought it was. Uh, uh, you've cut uh, out. You've cut out, so you have to repeat what your last line is, and I'm going to pretend like I heard it the whole time. Oh, okay. Chicharito operating between two center backs uh, in tight spaces. His comfort zone gets his first <laughs> goal. Um, a really fantastic game from Chicharito overall. I mean, I think we all felt good seeing this this giant rock come off his shoulders as he gets these goals. Um, and if you saw, I don't know if you saw the post game interview with him, but he's incredibly emotional about it. But, you know, also so much of what we talk about is we're just looking at the on field stuff and, and so, I, we, we try as much as we can to talk about the larger context of what's going on. But I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's hard to hear when you, you get the, the insight into just how much a player has been dealing with off the pitch mm-hmm. and then the pressure, you talked as well about that pressure, right? Like he's coming in, people are expecting big things from him and to be the star. And it, it just felt like he came in and everything Greg Vanny had said about him getting focused and getting fit, like you saw it right away. I mean, he, he looks younger somehow <laughs> and just had a, a really brilliant game. So it was, it was well done to him and well done to LA Galaxy to like actually respond. Like <laughs> what a difference a Greg Vanny makes I'm mean, seeing um, Depew, the Galaxy defender, make two really, really good sliding tackles in his own box. Man, that had to like feel as good as any sight to an LA Galaxy fan to see a center back going to ground and winning two tackles in their box and not conceding a penalty is like, ugh, put it in my veins. LA looked way more focused. They looked way more organized. They had structure. Um, this is definitely going to be... Good LA Galaxy again. Um, and to, to all of our... Uh, to all other teams is unbenefit. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? Is it makes it so much more interesting when you're like, okay, now you, you could look at the table in the West and go, okay, I think I have a pretty good idea of who those seven teams are going to be. And then you throw in the... And LA Galaxy might be good this season. All of a sudden you're like, wait, I don't know... <laughs> This wasn't in my calculations. Uh-oh. Recalculate, plotting new course. Um, and Sasha Kleschen gets off the mark here at, with a curling winner to seal it for this new look galaxy. It was just, uh, I thought, a really great performance from them. Um, and I thought Miami just weren't organized enough to respond, but I credit Galaxy fully in this one for, for making it happen. And, like digging deep having some character man it felt good to see i didn't i didn't think i could enjoy watching la galaxy so much or feel so good about them <laughs> yeah winning a game but was seeing them come from behind and through chicharito and i think question as well like he he did not have a great season last year with them and he's a such a tremendous player so to see him in form as well you think like yeah this galaxy side is going to cause a lot of problems for teams in the west that probably wrote them off it's a clever little run for from Sebastian Legette to uh, to get the ball to question to absolutely hammer it home from the top of the box. So I good. I noted here. I think that it's a faction uh, that, that as we're sort of looking at how clubs are doing 
with fitness early in the preseason and how this this preseason and or the gap in, in the season has gone, that they, um, Miami, I don't know if they were planned to do it or this was their idea of dealing with it, but Kleshin scores and they take Matuidi and Pizarro right out, uh, mm. out right afterwards. So I don't know why you would go down a goal and take back off your best players unless you're seeing teams essentially thinking, well, it's we're early in the season. We have gotten the best we can out of them. We don't want to push them too far, and we also don't want to, you know, be dealing with tired legs in a, in an area where fresh legs would, would help us more. Yeah, I was going to say that earlier is that I think another theme of the the week, if you can call it that, not that it was pre-meditated or anything. The best what, Yeah, was the... Um, a little bit of caution from clubs like you know sides that looked pretty conservative in their ball possession pretty conservative in their substitutions um in so far or in managing minutes so like pulling players out i mean sometimes accidentally it seems but just a little bit like everyone sort of feeling each other out a little bit like and i think that's where we saw some of the the draws as well as it's a bit like kids that haven't seen each other over the summer and they're like i don't remember <laughs> do i like you or are we enemies i'm not quite sure Let's kick a ball around for an hour and see what happens. We got a couple of nil-nils. We had Orlando, Atlanta. Uh, Alexandra Pato had two of the best chances and then seemed to like he was going to come off with a, uh, a leg, a knee injury of some sort. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw a little update that they're saying it doesn't look quite as serious as they first thought and shouldn't need surgery, which is, is good because he just – he's kind of – He's running across the top of the box and just kind of lands on it in a weird way. Like, he's almost jumping and just lands on it and then is cr- clutching the back of his um, back of his knee. But certainly not good to see him out in the first game of the season. Overall, like, a few okay chances from uh, Orlando in the first half. I thought they played really aggressively, and I thought Atlanta looked okay and had their chances, but... This was one where it felt like they both teams came in ready to accept a point and left accepting a point. Uh, Colorado-Dallas happened. Uh, basically, lots of shots. 11, uh, 11 shots on and off target for each. Um, that, was a, that was a nil-nil. And the other nil-nil was Columbus-Philadelphia, which I don't think a lot of people would have suggested to be a, a nil-nil. It may have been a nil-nil solely on the strength of Andre Blake with a yeah. guest with a guest role from from uh Eloy Room on one chance <laughs> and also good. the and also the Columbus crossbar. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say well don't leave out Room as for if we're going to talk who who's responsible for this. But yeah, this one was a not surprising uh nil-nil draw and also I think the definitely the best one. Um, it was a pretty testy match between the two. I think um, there were six or seven yellow cards shown, maybe more. Um, yeah, I, d- I just kind of had here, like, Philadelphia looked really aggressive in their press, but the sharpness for both clubs was not quite there. Um, Zardes as well had an okay, I think, 60 or 70 minutes, but just not all... Like all the pieces were not fitting together for either club, so nil nil is probably fair. Uh, Nashville, Cincinnati, 
uh, went to a 2-2. And Luciano Acosta starts just eight minutes. So I remind us, hey, this is why I'm so great. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys miss me? Eight minutes in. I did. Oh, my God. Beautiful touch to hop the ball over the keeper and run past him to, to fire it home. <laughs> the the people who missed him the most were the Cincinnati fans, I feel, to see <laughs> to see their club attack early and score an early goal, a good goal. Um there Joe Willis looked really, really shaky in this opening phase of play. Mm. He nearly gets done by Brenner, um, who he ends up cleaning out to for, for a penalty, and then you know, it's two nothing Cincinnati in the first eleven minutes, and it just feels like what is happening here, Nashville? <laughs> like, <laughs> best defensive league, best defensive team in the league against the worst offensive, and uh, they're two da- two nil down on opening day in the first eleven minutes. Um, however, those good times were not to last, unfortunately, as somehow Cadiz is just left wide open. All of the social distancing rules were followed there because he has all the space in the world. At the far post, on a not terribly threatening 4v4 situation where it feels like a pretty slow build-up, Cadiz is, hits it home, and all of a sudden we got a 2-1 game. Oof. And all, yeah, all this in the first 20 minutes. They're really getting it, uh, getting, really getting it out, of, uh, out of their system right away. I think that one of the things we see after this, and I think one of the big negatives for Cincinnati, of course, Cincinnati being positive, Cincinnati attacking, Right out of the gate on the road, hugely mm-hmm. positive for 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 where they've been at, um, and and you you can absolutely as a Cincinnati report uh, supporter look at this and say things have changed. Where you can look at it and say things have not changed is mm-hmm. leaving so much to Teton. You know they they peppered him at the end of that half, and they. Uh, and I feel like they got a lot on on the second as well. And, and eventually, mm-hmm. it's Randall Leal who got the 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 assist on the first goal. Floats this uh, floats this ball forward and into the goal. The number one you know discussion everybody keeps saying it's a brilliant arc- arcing ball into the back corner, and everybody is asking, is this supposed to be a cross or a shot? I'm going to give him the credit that it was a shot. Because it would be a pretty bad cross. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I know. Like, I like that take. I like that take. I'm always of the opinion, who cares? It, you know, intentions don't matter. Results matter. It's great that uh, it was just a, a beautiful goal. Possibly accidental. Definitely very good. Um Nashville looked much more solid and organized once they got those two early goals out of the way. It was like a shock to the system. They're like, wait, right, okay, soccer. Okay, let's do this. How do you do this? Ball in that goal, not in that goal. Right, 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 right. Guys, we've been going the wrong way here. <laughs> but they were able to turn that car around and then very much looked like their their old selves again, uh, which was good to see because you – like. This is the thing, right? Especially opening day. It's not so much ab- like about the result. It's about how you respond. Um, and so Nashville, it was good to see them come back and, and know that they could get a point out of this. I just thought, yeah, after a while, Cincinnati started to look really flat and just 
totally collapsed their two back lines. Basically got eight players standing in a line, not really defending, just sort of being there, um, Mm. which allowed a ton of space for Nashville to move around. Um, And I totally agree. Yeah, this could have easily been a 4-2 win for Nashville, if not for Teton. And you just, you know, you gotta, you gotta help your goalkeeper out there and like, just get some possession and try to move it up the pitch a little bit. Um, It doesn't have to be super fast attacking style and, and leaving yourself open, but just hold on to the ball a little bit and make Nashville work for it. And I felt like they, they let this one get away from them. And, um, I think it, it speaks to some of their ability to, to hold it at two, two. Yeah. The Dave Romney hit the crossbar. So that was, that could have alone, um, tipped the balance. Listen to this shots number. (laughs) Do I even want to know? Cincinnati had seven shots total, two shots on goal. Nashville had 32 shots, 13 on goal. <laughs> 32. 13 shots on goal is like <laughs> San Jose versus Vancouver levels. Oh, man. 30 shots. 32 shots. Is that what you said? 32. 32, 32, 32 total 30. shots. My word. From one team. I don't know if we had a game in this. I don't know if we had another game that had a combined 32 shots. (laughs) No kidding. Wow. Yeah. Well, so Cincinnati looks better. Nashville looks pretty good and more or less the same. Um, That's what we learned from that one. Two other teams uh, trying to, you know, test themselves out in their new, uh, in, in, in a, a new setting. Uh, Chicago in New England, who went to a 2-2, scored four goals in the first 27 minutes, and that was it. <laughs> yeah. Some games just got it all out of the way in one phase of play. Um, Barrich had a really er- good early goal. Um, again, continuing that theme. Um, and then Stojanovic doubles 10 minutes later. New England just standing around daydreaming i don't i mean i think i'll just chalk that up to some you know opening day nerves or having so much time off but it was pretty shocking to just see them just standing watching chicago go um however they were able to dig deep and find a response um they got a free header from uh buxa was able to make it 2-1 um and then chicago turns around and returns the favor with the, the lax defending and Bo is just alone in all he's like there's four defenders sort of standing around him and he's just wandering between the two center backs <laughs> they're not paying attention all of a sudden it's 2-2 and it just I kind of put like it's moments like those that drive me crazy when you've got three defenders at least all lazily facing the play all of them are behind the run of play, and no one's in a position where they could actually ever win a ball. <laughs> I'm like, you. at least one of those players needs to be on the right side of Bo and able to make his life somewhat difficult, uh, but just no marking there. Overall, I thought it was like an okay performance from both teams, um, and I expect probably we'll see much better performances from both teams. 
Tejan Buchanan plays a man. He sort of ricochets it from a, a seated position. So that that added to it somewhat because, you know, he didn't even have the time to really kick it. Yeah. It just bounced off him. Late in that game, in the 93rd minute, a penalty is called, and then the commentators, you know, breathe as the referee is about to, you know, make his position. And at the same time as they say, no penalty, the referee says, far. <laughs> They're told it's going to get called off. Yeah. The referee goes to look at it. It's a shove outside of the box that ends up kind of inside the box. Um, it's called as a free kick outside of the box that goes nowhere. But there was sort of a hearts and mouths penalty kick moment um, for Chicago there in those late stages. Definitely. It was nice to also see, like, they got the call right in the end. So I think that's okay. It was a red card. And it was not inside the box. So we all we all carry on. <laughs> and the subsequent free kick did not go in the net. <laughs> <laughs> we, had, uh, we had two games where New York teams tried to impress against, uh, against, uh, imp- against their rivals, or against not necessarily their rivals all the time, because, you know, Sporting Kansas City and, and Red Bull New York don't necessarily have the, the biggest, you know, history. But... Uh, neither of them came up with the win, both losing 2-1. Uh, we had Caden Clark opening the scoring for New York against Kansas City, volleying it beautifully on the 48th minute. That kid's ridiculous. Another player that I'm just like, how is he still in the league? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I tried to look up to see, and I, I feel like there's a, a clause in his contract, of course, that... Um, uh, I think it's uh, another Swiss club. Is it Leipzig? Oh, um, Leipzig's uh, German. Might have the um, the first rights to to sign him. Um, I don't know what the, that clause is, but I'm, he's rated at somewhere around three point three million, and I'm like, uh, <laughs> I don't understand the prices anymore. But I would pay at least fifteen million for that. And rising player and rising, <laughs> it would seem. Yeah. Yeah, right? Like, in today's football market with the kind of crazy money that's flowing around, I mean, Caden Clark's not just sometimes good. He's got ridiculous skill. Again, he's kind of like a Richie Larea type where you're like, you are actually a level above a lot of the players who are older than you in on this side. Um, however, unfortunately, that was kind of the lone good point for Red Bulls, who overall kind of looked okay. Um, I think they give it away with the penalty. I think they may yeah. have more. They may have had been able to ride it out and get like a, a shaky one nothing had it not for the been the penalty on Andrew Goodman that is buried by Gadikinda. Yeah, and it's just a, kind of an unfortunate handball PK that you have to give, but I don't think Goodman really can do much about it. Um, and uh, yeah, and then it's Kyle Duncan. I, I mean, I don't like to always call defenders out by name, but I'm trying to learn some more names this year and see, like, well, where are some of the weak links. And Kyle Duncan here is just again, completely behind the run of play. He's supposed to be marking Shalloway, who's in front of him, who just has an easy, easy, easy goal to win this one. Um, and, and that's got to be disappointing for Red Bulls fans who have seen this kind of just lack of interest from defenders for a, a while now, where there just doesn't seem to be 
uh, the the focus there. And he, you know, I know Kyle Duncan is a good defender and I, I think is a, a a promising talent, but it just it has to be a lot better than that. And for Red Bulls especially to they kind of pride themselves as being a, a certain level of club. It didn't feel like it felt like this performance was pretty well below their their levels, and SKC were allowed back in. On the uh, on the other side of New York, uh, DC United. Well, not in New York, but uh, in Washington DC, uh, New York City FC fell two under DC United. Um, that were a, a side trying to get their result, their first result with Hernan Losada. It is it, it is again uh, the New York side that scores first with uh, Tata Castellanos um, getting a. A goal that I felt almost, you know, Tanner Holm uh, sends it in, and it comes to Castellanos, who hits it, and I feel like he kicks it, but I almost feel like he kicks through the defender's legs. Like, I think yeah. he hits the defender's legs and also the ball, and I guess, I, I guess he, I guess he gets the ball, but I feel like if you are going to just go full on shin on th- on calf con- shin on answering contact, yeah. in the hope I that you like... might you know reach you might be able to kick through to defend the defender to get the ball. I feel like that is not ideal play. It's not ideal play. Yeah, I, I get what you're getting at. I feel like the rules kind of side with the attacker there, where he's got every right to aggressively go for the ball it i think also one of the things that why it wasn't reviewed or called in the moment is that it, it it's it's kind of a 50 50 ball and yes there's contact with each other but you know there's it, both players have a right to go for it and castellanos just follows through and manages to score it's not a beautiful goal uh and it's always hard to tell when a player is actually falling and almost on the ground while they score but Anyway, the damage was done. Um, and then Heinz EK, is it Heinz Ike or Heinz EK? I'm not entirely sure. I'm looking at, I, I was actually just in the... Oh, I recall in the broadcast they send Heinz Ike, so I'm going to go with that. I hope that's the right pronunciation. Brandon Heinz Ike, 26 great. years old out of Denver, Colorado. He hits this ball like he fucking hates it, and all of a sudden it's one one. Like, just, I have not seen somebody hit a ball with that much power in a while, and um, I was, it was, it was nice to see, you know? Good to see the Red Bulls, or, sorry, Red Bulls. It was good to see uh, uh, some, some different fight from D.C. God, too many games, too many teams. Gressel to Kanaus. Uh, mm. rounds out the scoring in this one. Yeah, really easy opportunity. Knaus is completely unmarked, um, and he he hits it really skillfully. It's a great goal, but just big, big volley. Yeah, no, nobody around him. Acres of space. Um, and and I felt like kind of what we'd been fearing with New York City FC of like how many pieces they've lost. Uh, it just felt like. At times, they had two or three fewer players on the pitch, the way DC was able to move around them. So, not a great opening day for them. It's great to see DC get back into things on a, with a strong start and win their first game. The uh, another sort of mix of, of of you know our debutante team and one of the 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 perennial contenders to see how they're going to look. 
was LAFC mm-hmm. versus Austin FC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a, a, a great game. Um, it was really great to see the uh, the Mo Fascio tribute to the um, one of the, the vice presidents of the 3552 in LAFC who passed away from COVID just right before the season and really just a giant sucker punch for the whole LAFC community. It felt like there was a lot riding on this game, but it also felt like LAFC had a a really positive attitude going into this game, and and it felt like an important match to them. And I I don't know. I feel pretty good about this Austin side. I thought it was a, a pretty good first outing for them. I thought they fought hard. The in the end, it was kind of just two mistakes that you can't really make away at LAFC, and LAFC punished them for it. Um, but LAFC also showed their depth because um, they're they're missing some some of their players, and they had this unfortunate thing where early on Vela signals for treatment, and Bob Bradley. I, I love that Bob Bradley kind of just took the blame for it, even in the game when he's being interviewed uh, on the on-field headset. Is like, ah, it's probably my fault. Where he thought Vela was signaling to get subbed off, and so he does, and Vela was actually fine and just wanted like the magic spray. <laughs> but um, yeah, the 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 subs and reserves here for LAFC really came together to make this win happen. Um, and it was a, a good three points for them. And I think for Austin, like, again, you, you lose a game 2 nothing, but you lose it on mistakes. They weren't run off the pitch. I thought they lined up pretty well. And I, th- I think this Austin side looks good, and I'm interested to see what they, they do in their next game. I agree with that. Um, of course, as you noted, you know, I feel very much for the LAFC community and for, for who've lost a, a leader and for his family as well. Um, the, I agree to you that I agree with you that I thought that Austin took the game to LA. Um, but it's that, you know, a mispass comes to Corey Baird wide on the wing. Uh, you know, Opoku frees the ball and is able to get out two on nothing. Can't, can't do those things. Can't do it. Just don't. <laughs> and, and I mean, and it shows too the, the quality of signings that LAFC is making, you know, they brought in Corey Baird and at the time we remarked again, like, why, why do you get another great attacking player? And this is exactly what they do. They go out and they sign players that they know can do the right things for them at the right moments and, and unlock that next level for them. And Corey Baird in this game for me, he looks like he's been playing in LAFC his whole life. Like just, Slotted right in, gets his goal. Another great uh, goal from somebody debuting for a new club. It was a great performance from him. It was great to see him, you know, in good spirits. Vancouver Whitecaps were in good spirits. <laughs> um, in, in the one nothing game against Portland, which had, I felt that the first half was a pretty slow roller in uh, the Whitecaps' temporary home of, of Rio Tinto Stadium in, in Sandy, Utah. I think, I think what makes this weirder than uh, being in Portland, even though it was in Portland, is that at least that's the appropriate biome. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. We're still regionally kind of in the same, the right neighborhood. I mean, it's still still a rival, but yeah, to just be like Vancouver Whitecaps playing at home in. <laughs> In Sandy, Utah. Sure. 
Nothing about that sentence doesn't make sense to me. It felt like the first half is there wasn't a particularly lot in it. Um, no, but then eventually you get this this goal, which is the only goal of the contest. Uh, Christian Gutierrez corner is picture perfect. Finds Lucas Cavallini on the far post, wide open. He nails it. He looks thrilled after what we've talked about about some of the the challenges last year and and how well he's he's been scoring for. Mm-hmm. Uh, for country and for uh, in in the Cap free season, he looked thrilled. He absolutely booted a pitch side Mike, seemingly by accident, as it got in his path as he was celebrating the goal. He's got some energy when he scores a goal, doesn't he? <laughs> We've seen this. Um, yeah, it was great. It was funny watching Whitecaps Twitter at first. Uh, the first twenty minutes or so, not a lot of love for old Goody, but. Boy, did that kid turn his game around um, and oh, yeah. really contributed here. And, and now people are salivating at the the thought of having a player like Gutierrez and Adnan as your choices at left back are a uh, pretty tasty, tasty treat. Um, Whitecaps missing like six people as well, six starters as well. No, not all starters, but, but they were missing um, Gaspar. Uh, they were missing Kaya Alessandra. Yeah. Or missing a non, yeah, missing missing a, a good portion of what you would consider would be their their uh, starting squad. Uh, I thought overall, though, this game was really well managed by Mark DeSantos. People were upset, and some people still seem to have a an axe to grind about the fact that he used so few subs and he used them so late because they wanted to see these young players come off the bench because we had an extremely young bench. But I think this is exactly what you need to do in this kind of game against such an important opponent who's also just coming off of destroying in the Champions League and you've only played a couple of preseason games yourself. Um, You know, I think Mark DeSantos has every right to just see how many of his players can go the 90 in this first game, especially when you're winning. You know, at the point where we go up, it's like, you don't want to mess too, too much with this. Everybody's playing their roles and doing doing it well. You're at the right level. You don't want that to drop. And the time that you want to bring subs in is when you see that drop. And yeah, people are talking about you see some tired legs, but you saw some tired legs, but they were still getting back into position and making the late runs and doing what they needed to do. So I was very okay with that. And I just think it's hard, right? Because we see with a young squad, you want to see all these young players get opportunities. But I don't think it's necessarily realistic to think that Raposo and Metcalf are going to be chalking up massive first-team minutes this season. Um, You know, not every player of ours that's young and coming up through the academy is going to be Alfonso Davies. And even that, a lot of people still talk about, like, attributing to how good he got at that level because of the way those minutes were managed. And, you, mm. and I, it's we talked about that a little bit with the ex- expectations on Baldissimo's shoulder, shoulders. Again, I think he's ready for that challenge, but he's also earned it. And, yeah. you know, he's demonstrated his ability to hold that position. I have nothing against Ryan Raposo or Patrick Metcalf, but I think that they have yet to really solidify that they deserve, you know... 20 minutes at the end of a game to come on. I, I think they will get there this season for sure. But I just think, you know, it's like, it's the first game of the season guys. Like we're allowed <laughs> to just see 
who can last 90 minutes, you know, I think that's good information for Mark DeSantos to know, especially when it's not necessarily his starting 11, because he's going to want to know. I mean, I think he can probably assume Russell Tybert has 90 minutes in the tank, but he doesn't know that of Veselinovich, and he doesn't know that of Gutierrez. So I think that that's excellent game management here, and it pays off tremendously. Um, the other side of this game is that Portland played quite poorly <laughs> for good chunks of it. Not not completely disorganized or completely collapsed, but you know, in a game where a night where Diego Valeri just can't seem to put a ball anywhere, it, it always sort of feels like you have a, a chance to win that one. And it was great that the Whitecaps did, but it should also be mentioned: not a great performance from Portland. Certainly not terrible, but well, well below their levels. Um, so. The, I totally agree with you about the, the sub situation. It was not the time. The The ending of that game was quite tense, I <laughs> felt. And I don't think that the tension was going Vancouver's way. Even before um, they get this disallowed goal on 82, I felt that that was away from, you know, what I worried might be, you know, a late equalizer. So, Dahomey yeah. knocks this, this ball in. Uh, the ball first comes to Rose, who kind of awkwardly heads it and it hits his hand. Or it comes up off his foot and it hits his hand? In any case, it's a handball. Um, it's not intentional, but it's, and his hand's not up in an unnatural way like he was trying to balance off another player, but but it's out of his body. You, you can't do that. Until you learn from the commentators that it was actually called offside. Because as the free kick is being struck, Jake Derwinski finds himself well offside and drifts in through the, the the mock of players in the front and sits himself then in front of the line. But he wasn't he didn't interact with the ball. Or try to. And it's like if you say, Oh well he was too close to the play, he was interacting with the play, it's like he didn't interact with the play from an offside position. No. He wasn't. He he was nowhere near a defender, and he was nowhere near the goalkeeper. Like I mean, I I guess you could say his proximity to the ball as it went in. Like, I think for me, maybe what they're thinking is that ball was aimed for Nerwinski, and he was there, but then it went in. Okay. But how do you call a call for something that hasn't happened? Like, how do you make a call to be like, well, he intended, like. I don't know. I mean, it's not the most egregious no-goal call you'll see this season, I'm sure, but I just was like, I'm not even that upset. I just don't understand yeah. what is an offside anymore because it's like every time you get a different explanation of it and you're like, well, and I don't even think we've received more of an explanation. We're just calling Norwinsky offside, which technically, yes, he is, but Appendix A, Appendix B, Appendix C. If you're anyway. if you're thinking about it from the perspective of of handball, I actually didn't hate how the VAR was handled because you know they had the commentator on there being like, "Oh, balls, gills are being chalked off left and right." But you know, I celebrated. I saw the replay. I knew exactly as soon as I saw the replay what was going to happen. It happened relatively fast, and then something else. Then I threw all that in the garbage. Yeah, because something else, you were, yeah, I did the same thing too. I'm like, you know what? It makes sense. That's fine. It's kind of soft, but whatever. And then being like, 
excuse me? <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> but at the same time, it wouldn't have counted anyway, and Whitecaps still won. So there is that. And I noticed Timbers did the same thing we talked about with Miami where they took Valeri off. Maybe, as mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's just because Valeri was having a bad night. But that seemed like, you know, the that did seem like a strange time. You know, you're still down a goal. You could still maybe try to take, you know, uh, take advantage of this momentum. Um, I, and that's, to, you made an earlier point about teams sort of backing off a little bit here. And I don't think Gio Savarese would ever admit to this, but I think he does back off. I think he sees this game kind of wrapping up and he, he just thinks Valeri's had a poor game. There's no sense risking an injury to him. He, he's been off all night. It's not like his moment of brilliance is going to come now. And I think he sensed that. And it was probably and and then he sends out a bunch of kids to to get some minutes and I love that you know like see what they can do give them the challenge it, it is it's still up to up for them to do something with right like it, you're not necessarily conceding defeat because you're putting on young players who don't have a lot of minutes you're saying all right here's your opportunity <laughs> see if you can turn this game around but, but as as you know it's when your side goes down like when your sides you know, effort and when your side's momentum takes a dip, Vancouver was at a consistent high level. And I think the Vancouver, making a Vancouver sub for youth at that point would have been bad at the time when the game is at the razor's edge. But Portland was taking a little dips. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? Is like, there's all kinds of reasons to make subs, but I, I do definitely think it was a little bit of, like, people really seem to get the, this got under their skin. And I was like, guys, you can't just play everybody constantly. Like, you do have to conserve some of that. And also, don't change it. Like, this is the Vancouver Whitecaps. Like, if we're winning against Portland in Utah, like, just let it. Can we just see this out, please? <laughs> you know, like, I don't... Nobody change your shirt. Nobody move from the seat you're sitting in. Everybody remember what they had for dinner. Like, let's just... Feels extremely not broke to me. Exactly. I'm like, these guys, the you know, these great youth players that Vancouver has that everyone's rightfully excited about, they will get their opportunities for sure. And... I'm sure in some big moments as well. Like, we know the number of competitions coming up. This is not going to be the first... Or, sorry, this is not going to be the last big game that a player like Raposa will get to, to play in. So there's plenty of opportunities coming their way. Um, it overall was a, a really good professional performance from the Whitecaps. Certainly lots of room for improvement and, and, you know, the whole thing isn't necessarily there, but it was great to see them grind out a really really important victory that i hope just acts as some fuel and confidence like uh-huh. if this white cap side needs anything it's some self-belief and some confidence that they can they can get results i agree with that uh our next week of match fixture, uh, fixtures uh most of the games are on the 24th um with one on the one on the friday and in la galaxy new york red bulls on the sunday Toronto faces Vancouver at uh, four Atlantic uh, noon Pacific. Wow, that's a, that's going to be an early start for you folks. <laughs> a little bit. Um, and Montreal plays. Montreal goes away to Nashville. Mm-hmm. With the uh, and that should be pretty good. LAFC Seattle, 
in case you want to see Bob Bradley get mad again. I mean, it's always on, it's on my it's on my checklist all the time. One in of the, the early season of MLS Advent calendars, Bob Bradley blowing his stack is is definitely in the first uh, twelve days of Christmas. Interesting note that took place uh, last week is that um, DC United uh, announced Lucy Rushton as its general manager. She had been mm-hmm. Atlanta yeah, United's head of technical recruitment and analysis. Right. So that's an exciting hiring. Absolutely. Welcome to the league. Until next week, where can we find you online? You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at That's So MLS. Um, I'll also mention Julian Gressel's soccer podcast followed us today. So if Julian Gressel likes us, you should too. Hi, Gressel! Um, hello! And um, you can find this podcast at that's so MLS.com. And of course, wherever you get your fine podcasts, where can we find you? You can find me online on Twitter at Team Bates, www.team-bates.com. And until next week, don't get sent off.